What's up, everybody? Welcome to Rad Parenting. Joe Sib here and my co-host, Anaya Bogue. And we are super excited about today's show. We have a guest. He's not going to say anything because I'm going to give him an introduction. And it's going to be a great setup. Uh, first of all, I want to thank everyone once again for all of the emails. Uh, keep them coming to radparenting at gmail.com. It has been amazing hearing all of your comments, your questions. And actually, we're going to address one of the questions that one of our listeners sent in uh, on this show. So it's not like when you send an email to Anaya and I, it just goes out into the wherever land. Actually, we listen, we read them. Anaya actually writes people back. And I wrote, I wrote this one back and said, we have a guest coming up, so stay tuned. So I'm happy that we're we're actually following through so quickly. Super excited. Uh, okay, so I'm just going to get right into it. Uh, in the studio with me, Clay Patini. No. Nope. Patani. 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 Oh my it's gosh. Italian. And is the it, Italian. Right. And is an Italian saying your name wrong? Do it again. All right. Welcome to the studio right now, Clay Patani. Exactly. I'm nice. honored to be here. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. I'm going to set up really quick like this, Clay. First of all, your salon here in Hol- or here in Los Angeles, what would you say? Would you say Eagle Rock? Yeah, Los okay. Angeles Eagle Rock. Okay, I started going there, getting my hair cut there. Great salon. Name of the salon? The Loft. The Loft. Awesome. Go in there and um, you get haircuts. And do you still have the candies? Yeah, absolutely. It's we have uh, mints and kisses, so hugs and kisses. There you go. My thing. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason that you're on the show is uh, today, I'm just going to go through everything about you. Okay, first of all, uh, you are a father. And uh, you have two boys and a girl, and you and um, your uh, husband uh, together adopted two girl or two boys, one girl, Correct. and then uh, you got divorced, and then on top of it, you're gay. Yeah. So you're you're like we had to have you on the show. Yeah, yeah. Because you've say been a through pending a ride. divorce. Pending, pending divorce. divorce. Okay. Right. Yeah, so basically Clay is going to help us cover a whole bunch of territory because Absolutely. there's so many marks, so many emails that have been sent in that we're going to take care of with this interview. Well, yeah, and what I was going to say was is that when we started doing the show right away, we started getting a lot of uh, you know, parents saying, hey, uh, you know, I'm going through a divorce right now, and how do I get through this? I'm a dad raising two girls. We did a whole, you know, whole show mm-hmm. on that, and then we started getting people, hey – it's great that you're handling that, but hey, uh, me and my partner just got separated. We're a lesbian couple. How do we walk through right. this? And then we've also had other people, like the email that we just got last uh, last week saying, hey, uh, thanks for doing the show on self-defense, yep. which that was awesome. And then they said- uh, Also- and, I, and also, check it out. And I'm not sure if it was her son or daughter. Mm-hmm. They're coming out. They're a teenager. The family is accepting, and everything at home is but, like. But they want to hear more because but, this is a, another big challenge of parenting. And actually, one of the things that they specifically said was just um, the world events that are going on. Mm-hmm. Their uh, son or daughter dealing with that, coming out as a gay person, and and all of that. And then she threw in, and just going through the normal adolescence. And the last thing she said, yikes. So, Clay, we have a lot that we have to talk about today. Yeah, I feel like I've been on the forefront of everything that is different and not having a guidebook to any of it. So, I feel like I've had to, you know, find my way through a lot of it. Let's start at the beginning of the journey. Um, Salt Lake City? Grew up in Salt Lake City. Grew up Mormon and um, was very um, strict to that religion. Um, Didn't know that my mother was lesbian until I was 18. And uh, she left my father, and they had a very, very bad uh, divorce. And um, now she has um, her partner that she's with. But growing up, knowing that I was gay, it was really difficult because um, I saw how the family treated my mother. And they ostracized her. They um, basically 
disowned her. And so I knew that for myself, that once I came out, that it was going to be the same thing. And so I tried to be the child that um, was the bridge between, in our family, the strictly religious and the people that were alternative, the more, you know, radical side of the family that didn't attend church and wasn't religious. So, and, and I know from sitting in Clay's chair about every six weeks or so, and we talk extensively that I feel like you still play that role. I feel like you are still very much the bridge between these different sort of fractured aspects of, of your family. Absolutely. It's become my life's purpose really to bridge um, extreme ideas on both sides. Um, my mom went clear to the edge of being alternative lesbian, and my father is a religious fanatic. And so having two parents that divorce each other and go to opposite sides of the ring, I just wanted to bring them together. I just wanted to bridge the gap. Um, they had a, a terrible divorce, and I could never do that. And so, um, you know, everything in my life, in, in coming out, in being true to myself, I knew there was going to be consequences. I knew that I was going to... Um, cut off a lot of contact with my family. But in our family, the gay thing just happens to find its way through every aspect of our of our lives, including my generation, including I have two sisters. They have kids. And um, both of my sisters, their um, second sons are gay also. And so it is something that is in our family with my mother, with myself, with my nephews, and it goes on and on. We have um, some cousins that are as well. So we have extremely religious. We have, you know, people that are trying to be true to themselves. So mm -hmm. what do you do? Everybody's getting married. Everybody is doing the basic cookie cutter thing they do in Utah. And then you have those of us that want to have that and want to get married, want to have kids, but we have to figure out how to, to be, do, that. do that and be true to yourself. Exactly. So let's so let's start there. Let's in terms of the timeline, because I think that, you know, as a as a parent, um, we want to do right by our children. And I, I mean, m most people that have been listening to this know that I always say that I think that our most important obligation as individuals is to become the best version of ourselves. And as parents is to create space and safety and encouragement and love to help our kids do exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so I've heard you now say so beautifully this idea of being true to yourself, which to me there is no being your, the best version of yourself if you're not true to yourself. So how did you, for the average kid, it would be difficult, even in this day and age where there's still stigma associated with being gay. We've come a long way. But how in that context did you find the courage. So first of all, what was it like to have to tamp down knowing who you truly were? And then how did you navigate under those really extreme circumstances, unwelcoming circumstances, if you will, right. finding your way out? Yeah, well, one thing is that in a strictly religious culture, they would rather have you not alive than be gay. Mm. So that is your first choice. And when I was 23, and I've heard even my nephew and other people, you go through this thing of I am either going to kill myself, mm. or I'm going to live and deal with it. And so you're and that's an ongoing thought, just running through your head that no, it was one decision I made back when I was 23, which is, I'm either going to die, I want to die, or I have sure. to I have to deal with all of this backlash that's going to come from my family and move forward and just be honest with myself. And there was a point in my life when I felt like, you know, I was I was trying to figure out um, if I was strong enough 
to make all of my own decisions and be my own individual, regardless of what anybody else thought. Because like I said, I saw anybody who was in our family before that was gay, and I have uncles and other people that had done the same thing. And what happens is they get pushed out and they're never spoken of or seen mm. again. So for myself, I thought, I don't want that to happen to me. I love my family. I love my my cousins, everybody. I didn't want to be pushed out. But at the same time, how could I do that and continue to be true to myself? Mm -hmm. um, so I had to, I made that decision. And from that point on, everything that I did was going to be something that was true to myself. And that was the hardest decision. But as things fell away, as people pushed me away, then I just still remained um, true to what I felt. And just told them that I love them regardless because, you know, a lot of people will get hurt and they'll run away from it. But I just couldn't do that. I couldn't do that with my sisters and couldn't do that with my dad. I couldn't do that with anybody. So are um, you and your dad? How are you and your dad now? Um, we have gone through some difficult times, but now it was about a year and a half ago that he actually met my kids for the first time. And he has finally come around. There was a point when he told me, if you adopt kids, I won't ever speak to you again. And I said, are you kidding me? Why would, why would me adopting have anything to do with our relationship? And he said, because gay people shouldn't adopt. Mm -hmm. And, you know, looking at my father, he was hurt from his wife leaving him. When I came out, my father, you know, he told me, um, why would you choose to do that? And went through that whole thing. And then I think it's been you know, difficult for him now having his grandchildren, my sister's kids that are starting to come out and they're doing it at a younger age. And they're um, one of my cousins. He um, came out when he was 18 and he went to his um, high school prom. So each generation, it gets a little easier yeah. on the backs of all of the people before you that were brave enough. Right. And so my mother, she left, you know, and she went away when she came out. And I decided to continue to go back into my family, my reunions and whatnot, just so that I could be an example or just so that the kids, because I suspected that some of my nephews possibly were, and I didn't want them to see that you had to leave. I wanted to be there and keep trying and trying and trying year mm. after year to go back and be a part of and be there so they could see me. So yeah. I think that that's, so I've, I mean, I've got so many questions, but on that know, last, you got on the that hand, last that, note, Inez, my just hands so you guys are going. Know, hands are in the air. I've tried, <laughs> I've tried to say like a couple things and Anaya's just giving me the Heisman, just like hand to the face. Cause I got to say this for your dad, um, for your dad, his wife leaves him, uh, you know, your mother, lesbian, you find out at 18, but at this point you still haven't came out that because you came out at 23. Right. But did you know at 18 you were gay? I, yeah. Okay. I, knew, I knew since I was four years old. So you, four years old. Okay. Which I think is a really important point, you know? And, and I, I want to go to that point yeah. because for the listeners that said, hey, how do we yes. in our house deal with that? So we're going to go to that for a second. I just got to bring up for your dad. Man, um, the amount of people that came out in his life that that had to just he had to say to him, I mean, is, every, is, is everyone in our family going to come out? And then for him to go through that, and then now for him to actually, and we'll get to, I want to get to the, you adopting and, and yeah. everything. How did that feel when he did meet your kids? I just want to fast forward to that that well, whole um, ride. Yeah, yeah. So when um, he came up, and um, it was at my niece's wedding, the first wedding that I had ever been invited to, mm -hmm. and she invited me, so I showed up and brought the kids. And um, he went up to uh, my kids and 
um, they were looking at him, and he <laughs> said, I'm your grandfather. And, of course, my daughter says, you're what? And he said, I'm your grandfather. And she's like, you're old. And <laughs> then that was, that was her response. And I just felt kind of crushed, but at the same time <laughs> elated because my father doesn't realize that it's not just the title. It's the time spent being father, a yes, grandfather. Yes. And so she just said it like it was, like, okay, and just kind of passed it on. Um, but for me, it was amazing because he would have never done that. Um, except the world is changing and little by little we're getting to a point where maybe we can tolerate people instead of agreeing with them. You don't have to agree to tolerate. Another layer, though, of my dad is when I came out um, to him, he had also told me that he had experienced some of those same feelings when he was in college and that he had chose religion over giving in to it. So, I mean, it's just typical that we see... It's kind of the um, American beauty story where the father who's the most against it, there is the big possibility that my father yeah. had those same things. And in my house growing up, it just was so obvious that my father was the mother and my mother was the father. You know, they found each other, but their roles were completely flip-flopped. My dad was the nurturer. My mom loved the sports and was yelling at the TV screen. <laughs> and, you know, my dad, if we had... Um, nightmares at night, he would be the one by our bedside, mm. um, you know, consoling us. And he loved cooking. He made Sunday dinner. Um, he was always the one that would tear up when, you know, he's talking about the kids. And my mom is like, oh, I want to cry, but I just am not ready to right now. You know, she's just the tough one. So, um, so it's interesting because that to me, that touches my heart in a way that I feel. And I think this is part of what has driven you because I hear these stories and I've heard them for years now and I'm just in awe because many people and I can't say that I wouldn't have I would have been able to do it the way you did would have just for self-protection said I am not going to keep putting myself in the line of fire and you have consistently gone back from a place of love and compassion I think a real deep belief that if you could keep showing up and saying my sexuality is not all that I am. There mm-hmm. is so much more to who I am, and I'm going to just keep l- allowing them to see who I am beyond this label of being a gay man. Um, and so also I'm, to give your dad that chance. You know, a lot yeah. of people would have right. been like, and, I'm not talking to him. And you said, hey, come over and meet my kids. Well, and, and she and, says but, he's old. Everyone probably laughed. And then there you go. It, but, it's but I on. think, but I think, in terms of your dad, the compassion pieces, and this is this is why I think it's so important that we allow our children to figure out who they are and become the truest version of themselves. Because when that is stuffed down, right? Your dad, it sounds like has sounds his like whole life down. been stuffing it down, and it's you know even you saying I had to choose basically between life or death. And I think what we need to qualify is death doesn't just have to be a literal death. From we know that many many kids who identify as gay end up committing suicide because they say I'd rather be dead than have to face my family rejecting me but there's this other middle ground where there's a non-literal death where the soul dies when you say I'm going to deny being my truest mm-hmm. self and it can it can manifest in various ways hatred for people who you know are out because how dare they I have to stuff this down and right. these people get to be out in the world yeah. I mean that could have been a component of yeah, what drove your dad existential experience because you look at yourself and you're like am I going to love myself mm-hmm. or am I going to allow other people to dictate what I do and at that point I thought you know I was taught to be honest and um, in, honest in dealings and so I thought 
the rest of my life, I'm going to at least be honest regardless of what people think of that. And that's the hardest thing is saying, this is who I really am. If you don't like it, then I can't do anything about it. Yeah. But at least I'm not lying to myself. And I feel like so many members of my family are lying to themselves to fit into some sort of reality that, you know, generations have created. Mm -hmm. And um, several people have started to break away from that and being honest with themselves. Mm -hmm. And that is, to me, more noble and more of a cause. So at that point, I felt like I needed to champion a cause in my life of being honest yes and that goes today with being honest about my separation and being honest about the kids situation and it's like I think more people just need to be honest about where their kids are at where you're at and it's easier to deal with you know all the problems that come up when, because when you, you have we that. can put it out on the table exactly yeah jo Joe has I, his hand up yeah, I have my hand Joseph. up because yeah we're rolling through um I love I love the way this is going because we're, we're I, I have the snapshot now of where you're from growing up uh, just the story of your mom and dad uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna while we're still got you in Salt Lake City before before we come here and get get your children uh, adoption everything that you went through with that um, getting divorced got to go through that too I, we're gonna we're gonna jump into Rachel's email because I think it's important yep. Rachel sent us this email and um, basically at the end of it she, I'll just read what she wrote she just wrote um would also like to hear more on a child coming out my child is out and we are openly talking about it at home but here are uh, the issues uh, social stigma acceptance world happenings that become a minefield at home so I got yeah. a I got a feeling that you know, her son or daughter that's come out, there's things, mom, you don't know what this is like. And she's mm -hmm. like, look, I'm here to help. And then she also threw in, uh, along with the moody adolescence that is normally in right. place, yikes, help. So Clay, uh, what would you say to Rachel? Her son or daughter's just come out and they're dealing with the social issues, everything that's going on in this world right now. And like Anaya said, a lot of acceptance, but let's, you know, let's be honest. You know, we're, we're here in Los Angeles. We're here in California. Uh, it, it, it's, it's not tough. like this it's, everywhere. Yeah, it's not like this everywhere. And I tell people that all the time. I know people who are listening to the show right now um, are saying, yeah, you're right, Joe. It's it's not accepting everywhere. And, and it's a hurdle. And it's still painful. And it's and the journey that you went through right there, wow. It was hard enough just growing up. You know, for what Clay went through, life or death, I mean, I had to go through, like, if I get my, if I bleach my hair, what's my dad going to do? Like, that was like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And yes. like, I, and that was a traumatic yes. thing. I can't believe you, you know, get the earring, you know? Yeah. And I, man, when I, when I hear what you've gone through and, and also just, um, it's so insightful, but right now for Rachel, if you could, you're speaking to her right yeah, now. Yeah, for Rachel. So, um, I was fortunate to have, even though my mother wasn't out she still allowed me to be who I was. Um, my sisters were into sports. I was not. Um, my mom was into sports. And so it was really difficult for my mother not to have a son that was into sports like her. But um, I love that. The lesbian, wow. the lesbian yes. that's come out that's upset yeah. at the gay son. Why don't you play sports? <laughs> she <laughs> wanted me to. And my sisters did soccer. And I just was not that person. Yeah. But... Um, she also, when we were going, when I was um, young, maybe entering teenage years, um, we were going to an amusement park and the boys were excited about, you know, checking out girls. And my mom would say, oh, he's not really into girls right now. And um, I think that for me as a child, 
it was better not to throw a label on me and just to point out qualities that were true to you rather than this is what you are. You are gay. Mm -hmm. You are this. And then you don't have a chance to find out who you are yourself. And I really appreciate the fact that my mom didn't ever label me as anything, but said, you know, this is, he's not really into girls right now. Mm -hmm. And then let's say that it changed. Then I wasn't labeled as something that every time she introduced me, oh, this is my gay son. So it's almost better to realize qualities and, um, and also accept the fact that kids are transitioning through a lot of phases and to accept the qualities that they have rather than labeling them with this is what they are now. It's so true you say that because I remember when I was a kid, uh, when you say you change, you change through life, right? And I remember, and I, I, you know, anyone listens to the show, you know, I grew up with my dad, divorced couple, moved in with him when I was 14. I remember I wanted to get a Devo tattoo. You remember the band Devo? I do. Remember the band Devo? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay, so I wanted to get, yeah, I wanted to get, I think, the hat on my forearm and it was going to say Devo because I love that band. And and my dad was like, look, I'm going to tell you right now, Joe, I know you love Devo, but I think there might be a time (laughs) in your life where maybe you're not into Devo as much Mm -hmm. as you are right now. And that would be the same as if, you know, labeling, like, you are gay. This is the way you have to be. This is who you are now. Well, what happens down the road if I'm not? Or maybe I'm bi. Maybe I'll, you know, right, right. And 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 then at that point, I wonder, and throwing this out on the table, I wonder if there's ever the, uh, for maybe someone that's come out that, well, gosh, my parents supported me coming out so much. Now, if I, if I'm not gay, they'll be disappointed. Have you exactly. ever, can that happen? Well, I yeah. think, yeah. And I think that, so first of all, I think human sexuality is just so, I mean, there's a, there is a fluidity about human sexuality in terms of, you know, that we've even got studies, you know, 10% are on one far side of the spectrum as heterosexual, 10% on the other as homosexual and 80% falling somewhere in, de- in, in between, depending on a variety of factors. And I think that especially in adolescence, which is such a, I, if I, if you think about it as a, a piece of, a child is a piece of clay <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> um and and it really being this like soft you know really malleable you know thing that is from one day to the next changing and and trying different forms different hats different and if you a parent is too quick to label this is sort of the other the other end of it so mm-hmm. too quick to label one way or another we can limit that right. really important phase and labeling of is really only for the security of the parent for them to feel comfortable it yeah. doesn't have to do the kid doesn't you know they want to have the right and the ability to be different things weekly, monthly, or whatnot. And I'll tell you something that I've never told anyone is that growing up, my mother would watch like the Donahue show and shows with um, transgender people. Mm-hmm. And there was a point when I thought that maybe I should have been born a girl instead of a boy. Mm-hmm. I really felt that. Mm-hmm. And I went through that inside my head and in my mind without talking to anybody about it. Um, and you know, I feel like if that was something that I wanted to pursue, then, you know, I could have spoken to my mom about it. But if I had mentioned that and she had said, well, this is my transgender son, yes. then I would have been like, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm not sure. I think yes. it, but I'm not sure. So That's please right. don't throw that on me. Just realize that I'm going through finding out who I am. Yeah. It and would have limited your exploration. Absolutely. Um, even just in a, on an energetic level, like, oh, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be that now? Like, I can't just move through this? Exactly. And I think the other point you made, and we've talked about this before on our show, the mini-me show, is I mm-hmm. think it's really important. We always say, don't take it personally. When parents make their children an extension or a reflection, like, oh, if my kid's gay, mm-hmm. and, and, I'll, and I'll be honest, I mean, I haven't, I haven't shared this before, but, you know, when my brother came out to my parents, I know that, and I'm not even going to say... Wh- you know, one of my 
my my father, who has never really been cared that much about what other people think, was like, I love you. I love you. And my mom, of course, was also, I love you, but I know she struggled more with, does this mean that I did something wrong? Have I had a hand in this? You know, oh, no, now my son's not going to have kids. Like, you know, of course, also limiting, right? Because my son is gay, he can't, you know, he can't have kids. But I think that if we get our own parental issues in there of like, is this a reflection on me? It adds another layer of difficulty for parents instead of like this kid is his own or her own individual Absolutely. self. Absolutely. And you know, that is one thing about adopting kids is there's less of a mini me syndrome mm. because you watch what they become. They are not part of your genetics. Yes. And so you truly step back and watch what they want to be rather Beautiful. than what you want them to be or ra- rather what you see in yourself, yes. in the child. Yes. So you do have, I feel an advantage because you're not having expectations that this child is going to turn into me and have all of my likes. In right. fact, you realize that they're probably going to have a whole new set of likes. Right. I want to dive right into that right now. Uh, let's talk about Clay, the dad. Let's talk about Clay getting married. And that journey. That- I want. Yeah, let's talk about you getting married. Uh, I want to dive into that. I want to talk about uh, you guys adopted three kids. Uh, and then we're going to roll into the divorce and, and how you've taken on that hurdle in your life and and, and made that uh, a part of who you guys are now. Uh, let's start with just, um, I guess we can dive into when you and your partner got married. Did you guys adopt f- first and then get married? Because they were a part, actually, weren't they? When right. You got we, married? Um, marriage was not legal in okay. California when we first adopted. And um, domestic partnership was available in 2004. We did that. And then we started... Um, thinking about having kids. Um, James and I were fortunate enough um, to be on a documentary called All Aboard with Rosie O'Donnell. And we were one of the couples on there. And because of that, she took interest in us. And um, our first child was because of her um, getting involved with us. Now, we um, initially had um, a girl that was placed with us from um, Albuquerque, New Mexico, we flew down there and from the hospital. To adopt her. To right? adopt her. Yes. Mm, and she was with us for a couple of days. And the birth mother down there decided that um, she couldn't handle a gay couple raising her child. So took her from us and gave her to a straight couple. And we were devastated because of, you know, the anticipation and the expectation. Um, but a month later, another um, we received another phone call from North Carolina. And that's where... Our son was born. And I have to tell you that I wanted a girl. I wanted a girl for my first child. And I'm a hairdresser. I thought about <laughs> doing hair and I thought I'm going to have all girls and buying outfits and, you know, two gay dads going and shopping. I mean, you're in heaven. And then when, <laughs> when we got the phone call that a boy was born, I thought, oh, no, like, Am I going to be a good parent? Am I going to? What if they're into sports? And you what went if through the they're... same thing that so many of the guys that have sat in that same chair, Jimmy, uh, all daughters, all daughters. Yep. Like yeah, that is so funny. Yeah, just that. the just the polar opposite. Yeah. I thought I went I through gonna... the same thing when I when I found out I was going to have a, 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 a I wanted a son so bad my whole entire life and my first mm-hmm. you know was a, a was this beautiful little girl. But for this split second, I always remember when they say. You know, Joe. You know, you're gonna be you're gonna be a dad to a beautiful girl, and everything went silent in the room. I always say like <laughs> it went silent. And I seriously, it lasted. I'll be honest with you, it lasted like a good 
30 seconds to a minute where my brain had to like go, all right. And then I started, and I'll never forget, it was Patty Hoffman, one of the, a pro skateboarder. As a kid, I'd seen her, read about her in magazines. And that's what, I was like, Patty Hoffman's rad. All right, yeah. The drummer Let's name for, her Patty. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, yeah, exactly. But it was like, I was like, cool. And it was so silly to think for a, you know, a second, I, well, I thought Well, you knew I could boy only, things. You yeah. knew about boys. Mm-hmm. And for me, I knew girl things. I have older sister, younger sister. You know, I knew girl things. I love doing hair. All of that. And so having a boy, I thought, is is he going to be embarrassed of me? Is mm. he going to, am I going to teach him what he needs to know? And then I was completely blown out of the water with how much love comes from any baby. I fell completely in love with my son. And now he is the single most important person and the best thing that I have ever done with my life, hands down. And I can say that. And I know that it was meant to be, it has opened up my interests and my um, ability to love and you know uh, mm. so I boy girl yeah. it's funny your expectations of a child versus I what it is that I love hearing that from you though because that's just all of us yes. all think we're only going to be able to parent yeah. this type of it's a girl if I'm a girl or you know and I know I know a lot of dads though that that wished uh, they wanted a girl because they'd be it'd be easier. Yeah. It'll be easier, and I and I and I and I remember, uh, you know, other guys, you know, they only want to urge, you know, women. I go, oh, I hope I have a a girl only. But it's funny to hear. So like, after that, feelings. we um, got involved with the foster adoption um, program in California, and we actually fostered a little boy, and he was with us for a couple of months. And because it's foster, there's a higher risk. So he went to an aunt. Then we fostered twin girls, and these were all drug-dependent babies, so we got them from the hospital, and um, we helped them to go through the withdrawals from crack, some of them from meth. Um, So we had the twin girls for about um, four months, and they went to an aunt, and so with our agency, we just said, what is it going to take to actually adopt a child? Because we had Brayden at the time, and they said, you need to go a little bit older. So they said, we have a two-year-old little girl, um, but um, she has a little brother, and they have to be adopted together or fostered together. So we um, met them and brought them both into uh, the family. and They had already been in five different foster They had already homes. been in five different foster homes. In their beginning, they were um, locked in a room. They were born in a drug house. They were malnourished. Um, my daughter, um, Beja, she's now eight years old, she... Um, protected her little brother, this one-year-old, she would go find food and bring it to him. And so she had this protector spirit from the get-go. So bringing these two in, um, they had been in five different placements because nobody wanted to keep her. She was difficult from the beginning. She She, was fierce. She she was a survivor from Mm -hmm. the get-go. And she was a food hoarder because when you don't have food readily available, you find food and you keep it and you stash it. And so she was doing that for Angela, which is the younger. They're seven, eight, and nine now. So um, she was stashing food, and she would give it to him and taking care of him. So she had this fighter spirit. So obviously, any home that she would go into, she was fighting. She was two. She was two and a half years old. And two and a half year olds are difficult anyway, let alone having to fight for your existence. So people would say, well, we want to keep the younger one. But we don't want to keep her because she's too difficult. So by the time she came to us, she was, you know, she had that look of um, fear and survival in her eyes. And so did Angelo. And um, 
we just had to keep telling her, no, you don't have to be the parent. You don't have to get food. You don't have to eat so much. You know, and Brayden that we had had, he was three at this point. Um, he would just, you know, he ate, he was so picky and he'd eat a little bit and then push it away. And so they started to kind of learn that you don't have to hoard food and that you don't have to, you know, you don't have to. Um, there's going to be a meal tomorrow. Right. Yeah. There's going to be yeah. a meal Ma- tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. We're here. We're a family. We're going to take care of you guys. So she was so difficult, though, even with us. And she pushed us to our limits. She really was, you know, everything from trying to throw all the fish food in the tank and killing the fish to kind of slightly, you know, taking the dog and um, being rough with it, not being nice. So we had to really work with her. And there was a point when we felt we can't handle this. And I thought... Um, oh my God, she has been through so many different placements and everybody has given her away. And when I was at my wits end, I thought this will be just one more person giving up on her. And I thought, you know what? I am not going to be that person. I'm going to be the person that tells her I am with you through whatever. So bring it on, give it to me. And she (laughs) did. She pulled down bookcases. She wrote all over the walls. She, um, you know, she was just terrible. And it wasn't until... We went to adopt her. We went to the courthouse, and she wouldn't even sit in our lap. She would sit in the social worker's lap because she was female and she didn't like her dad's. You know, she had a problem with men, and probably because of who knows. We will never know Mm because it was before too. And it was when we were at the courthouse that um, the judge said to her, "You realize you're being adopted. This is your family." And she looked at us and she's like, "We're family." And I'm crying right um, now. Crying right now. Crying, she said, we're family. And so when we were driving home, she goes, we're family. We're family. And that's when she finally realized that nobody was going to give her away again. And that's when the change happened. And now to see her, Anea knows her because she went through um, the real girl. And she has the most light in her eyes. She lights up a room. She's the funniest. She has a good sense of humor. She is just... An amazing little girl. Smart, and f- articulate, thoughtful, kind. I mean, it just, yes, warm, loving. I mean, I just have to say, because I every time I see those kids in the salon, I look at them and I say this to Clay and I say it every time I tell the story. You save their lives. Period. You saved their lives. And Whether they, they were literally dead too. or they were messed up, you and James saved their lives. And yes, I hear you. And this is what our kids also heal and transform us in such beautiful ways. I got to say, when you're describing all the stuff that she was doing, I'd be lying if I if I w- wasn't. It made me feel a little bit better when you said you were thinking possibly a bailing out on that. Because when you were describing everything, I, I, I was like, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know. And then I love what you said. Cause then I, I thought about just my journey with my daughter of just like, I'm here, get as rad as you want. I'm going to, I'm on the yeah. journey with you. And then how she draws on the walls, drawn on the walls is a bum out yeah. though. That's hard to get off. Just everything <laughs> left and right. And you know, the big, one of the biggest factors in that is that my mother was a foster child here in California and she went from home to home. People didn't want her. She was abused and all of that. And it wasn't until she was nine that a Mormon family drove here, which is how my mother ended up in Utah. Oh, wow. She was a foster child to a family that never adopted her, but fostered her. And so going full circle for me, my mother being not being adopted, but fostered, she was always by my side. And she was there, you know, after all of the, the, uh, my parents divorced and everything. 
she helped out with the kids and she said, you know what? The biggest gift that you are giving to your kids is adopting them because I was never adopted. She's like, I can't tell you how all my life I've just wanted to be adopted. I just wanted to be adopted. Just that word, just having a judge saying, you guys are connected. Yes, this is permanent. You don't have to be constantly afraid that this is going to end. And my mom to this day is constantly afraid because she was never adopted. And so she said to me, you are giving them what I never had. And because of that, I feel like my life, my purpose Mm -hmm. um, has come full circle. Beautiful. And, um, you know, for um, the choice of adopting versus um, having a surrogate, Mm -hmm. you know, now with parenting, you can get a surrogate. And certainly I had thought of that because we all have, want to have a mini-me. And I thought I want to pass my genetics on. But then I thought, you know what? There is a bigger picture here Mm -hmm. and there is... Um, there is something that I need to do with my life, which is be on the forefront of gay marriage, you know, be on the forefront of adoption of kids. And all my kids are Latino. So, and I'm, you know, Caucasian and my um, ex, James, he's uh, Asian, he's Japanese. So we were multicultural family and we weren't allowed to be married until 2008 when there was that small window where you could get married and we did it, and then, you know, Proposition 8 passed, and we couldn't for the longest wow. time. So we were a married a couple ride. that wasn't married, kind of married, and waiting for the Supreme Court to validate our family. And in the meantime, we just plugged away with what my definition of a family was, which is love. Loving, whether people tell you you can be married, whether, you know, they tell you that you can be with your same race or a different race it's just love it's mm-hmm. love it's who you choose to make up the family unit and that's what i always wanted my kids to know is that we will love you no matter what and now i really feel like as individuals they know that we will love them regardless and um so and they're thriving they are all thriving they're thriving they're wonderful kids and i even um how did it now now you that i mean everything that you the whole everything you've talked about from the moment you sat in that chair, man, roller coaster ride, and 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 you're such a happy guy too. Like, you know, like like when I see you, like uh, you know, when you came to the the, the uh, all girl show that Anea did, and you were there, and you're just you know, oh, smi- this, our you know, stand up no, for girls, yeah, yeah. And, you, so, but, but, but so, I would, okay, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry, can you, I go? You first or me, Joe? Cool. I don't know. <laughs> go for it. I feel like you've said a lot today. Okay, go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever said I've that to you. I've had more time. That's okay. I don't mind. <laughs> no, I just I was I was gonna um, just go to. Uh, I'm just thinking of tackling the divorce. Well, but, of but that wait, 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 but okay. let's stay on the timeline because so I'm let's come back to your schedule. You're going to take us there in a minute. What I want to know because we talked a little bit in, in in the email. It was like you know these really uh, potent political and you know the, oh, the social, climate we're living yes. in right now. Yeah. So what have how have you or have you had to manage your children coming home saying, you know, so-and-so is asking why I've got two dads or, or any, any sort of like negative commentary that they might be getting about. Or even know, when you're out in public, or, when you're out in public, you got sure. Latino kids. Yeah, your you, family. I mean, Clay, yeah. your hair, you, you're bl- I mean, you are a white Blonde dude. Blonde hair, You are a white dude. I mean, I look Latino, Latino compared to you. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, I mean, what, yeah, that's What's a that great like? question. What What's that like? Well, um, so first of all, um, the happiness factor, there has no choice in my life that has been accidental. I, you know, we can't get knocked up. We don't have kids out of accident. 
everything is planned and struggled for and fought for and fought for and fought for. So everything that I have, I feel like I have a greater appreciation. And I know this is how my life is supposed to be because I appreciate everything so much. And I appreciate the kids every day and tell them, you guys are so important to me. And we struggled and we struggled and we fought for you. And so that's why you guys have saved my life is because you are important. So the kids know that. They know that they are my diamond. Um, when we're out places, we've had to deal with um, that, especially when I'm by myself with the kids and people will come up and ask my kids to their face, like, where is your mother? And um, I have to say, no, 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 they're with me because people will assume they're lost kids because they're next to a Caucasian yes. dad yes. and three Latino kids. Mm -hmm. And um, people will, even when I was carrying Brayden as a baby, people would come up and say, oh, he must look a lot like his mother, you know? And I thought, well, yeah, he does, but I don't know who that is, to tell you the truth. So, that would have been a great answer. You know, but they want to they look at the baby and they want to they mm -hmm. Make it make that, sense in their right, minds. They want sure. things to make sense. They want to put labels. They want to have everything lined Neat, tidy up. tidy little boxes. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. to say to them, you know what? He probably does look like his mother, but I haven't seen her, you know? So I don't know. It's you know? a word then, problem that they can't figure out. And then you can see out. them just, yeah, they're perplexed and they walk off and they think, what just just happened, you know, or, you know, when we were together and the kids would call me Papa and James Dada and people would look, you know, um, we would go to restaurants and we'd be sitting at a table and there were Latino families that would look over almost in disgust that we had these mm. three Latino kids. And but then they would see the amount of love and, you know, the kids are oblivious to this. It's not until they grow a little bit that they get feedback from other kids that they realize, OK, this isn't normal. Um, in elementary school, the kids have all been faced with that sort of um, people questioning, like, you have two dads. How is it that you have two dads? You have to have a mom or you wouldn't be here. So then we have to explain, yes, you do have a birth mother, mm -hmm. but um, your birth mother couldn't keep you. You know, and then the, it gets into the, well, why didn't she want to keep me? So you have to explain everything. Just having kids that don't look like you, you don't have the luxury of pretending to be a biological sure. family. You're always having to explain what your situation is. And so I've gotten used to now being open about my story mm -hmm. and just telling everybody, oh, they're adopted or, you know, we chose these kids or fortunate enough to, you know, have them. And so the kids grow up knowing that they're special in that way. When they're faced with that, Beja is the one that always, that's my daughter that's eight. She stands up and she's the toughest one in our family, having two brothers and two dads. She stands up for everybody. And she says, you know, even when somebody has made fun of her, she says, don't make fun of my family. And Aww. I think that it's incredible. It's given her incredible strength. And I can't wait to see what she does oh, with this world yeah. and what difference she makes because she has a unique story beyond anyone else's mm -hmm. and she is a strong, strong girl. And I applaud and I foster that in her and I want her to be the strongest that she can be. So with, with I'm just thinking of stereotypes, you're out at the restaurant, you were, you were starting to say that uh, different families, whether it's white, Latino, whatever, they see you uh, and your partner with uh, your kids and you see that look on their face that I'm sure you've grown accustomed to. Uh, Even through your own family. Yeah, the confusion look. And sometimes I'm sure you go, oh, okay, he's confused, got that. But then maybe sometimes you see that look of like disdain, disdain and just disgust. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that. Have you ever had uh, an experience where that look 
and after they've seen and witnessed your family that a person that's been, you know, unfortunately raised and, and with the stereotypical uh, cookie cutter, it has to be man and woman and all of that, that they've come over and go, you know what, I got I to gotta, I gotta say, you great parents and man, you're, you're you're totally shattering everything I've thought in my life yes. right now. Yeah, people love to give their opinions and some people love to one side or the other. They can either approve or they can say something to the effect of you shouldn't have those kids sort of thing. And you're like, well, you know. I'm sorry I'm, you feel that way. Yeah, I'm sorry you feel that way. But a lot of people will look and I notice it happening and I go about you know, my business as usual. And you can see the look on their face change when they realize how much love mm-hmm. you have for the child. And I'm always kissing my kids in in public and around people because I love my kids. And our display of affection, even at the salon when my kids are there, I'm always going up and kissing them because, you know, the validation of that I'm your parent and I love you. And people out in public see that. And people do change their minds. When they see something, it's less scary and they're less afraid of what that looks like. And so, yeah, I feel I feel it all the time being looked at. And I've just accepted that that is part of my role in this world is to um, be an example of what that looks like and not to get upset by it, just to show people the love. It's almost the same thing that with you and your family that a lot of families don't have to deal with is you're, you guys are almost on stage all the time. You know, like yeah. when you walk on stage. You know, and you got the mic. You're like, okay, mm-hmm. here I am to entertain mm-hmm. you. For you guys, you have to, you know, like you're saying that look, and and having to, you know, feel that, you know, if you're in public in a place that people haven't haven't yeah. seen. Well, haven't you know, it's always like been yours. so easy in my life because Caucasian male in the United States, I've blended, you know, through my childhood. Besides, people kind of suspected that I was gay, but um, then going into this sort of thing, being you know, with a partner and having kids, you really do open up to we're on display. And now I realize I empathize now with people that are different colors, different religions, everything, because now I know how everybody's watching you, Mm -hmm. how everybody is looking at what you do. And they want to see, oh, let's see how a gay family looks. And then you just have to go about your business. As time goes on, I don't even see it anymore, but I know it's still there. But now I'm just existing, you know, in happiness because, you know, I, I know a lot of people are watching and that's good. I think it's really good. And it's good not to hide that from people so people can experience what that love looks like. Yes. Um, okay, so let's transition on that on that note. Let's talk about how you and James have, because I already know how you've done it, but I want our listeners to hear how you've done it, how you've so beautifully carried the love and the joy through the, um, I mean, I want to call it this transition to a new form of Rat your relationship. even through a divorce. That's right. So, you're, you know, your divorce is pending. You're really mm-hmm. separated. I know living separately, but in this, it's continued to evolve in this really beautiful way. So can you tell us about that? Because I think that's also really important. Yeah. So we, like I said, nothing, no decision was, um, you know, was without a lot of thought. So having the kids and even our relationship, um, we knew we both wanted to have kids. Um, We got married after we had had one child. So the marriage was symbolic and it was also to protect the kids and to protect our rights, you know, if one should die and all of that. But then we just got to the point. And um, I'll tell you that what had happened is we had a fourth baby that was placed with us and the agency called and there um, it was an HIV positive 
baby, nobody wanted her, little black baby. And I, it took me two seconds. I'm like, absolutely. And um, took her. Um, we had her on AZT and then Bactrim for six months. And after six months, this is from newborn. After six months, she tested negative, negative. for the mm-hmm. HIV. And so we had her for a year. And the um, system in California, the birth mother was able to do a few things minimal went to court and got the baby back. We thought we were fully going to adopt her, so that was would be our second girl. Mm. She was um, given back to the birth mother, and at that point, um, I felt like we needed to focus on our core, which is our three kids, And but it took its toll on our relationship. It really did. It was really tough. It was having a baby, and then I don't know what it's like to lose a child to death, but I know what it's like to lose a child that you care for and you love from day one for a whole year and her medical needs in three to four hospital visits a week and waking up all night and giving her medicine and just loving her and then to see her in one breath given to the birth mother as she's turning around and saying, you know, dada, dada, you know, and reaching for Mm. me. And that's the last you see of her. And... For James and I, it took a toll on our relationship. But one thing that we wanted to do is, in all of our decisions, we wanted to do things that were what was best for the kids and what was positive for the kids. So even in separating, we felt we needed our space. We wanted it to be, we wanted to be front runners in what a good divorce or good separation looks like. So we decided to do that. I went, you know, my parents had a terrible divorce. They hate each other to this day. And so I knew the wrong way to do right. it. We're not doing that. And um, the kids, you know, we had worked so hard for their their health and for their state of mind. So we didn't want to mess them up. So we just did it different. We respected each other. We had fights along the way. We didn't do it in front of the kids. And then eventually, um, James met somebody And then he moved back into the neighborhood. He moved out into a place, and then he moved back into the neighborhood, five houses down from where I live, which I am by myself still. And and, um, the kids now have two homes that are in the same neighborhood, five houses away, and we co-parent. We're all together on the 4th of July. We co-parent because of our love for the kids. And let you know, I could be terribly dramatic about the whole thing, but it's not about me. It's about the kids. And you can move forward and show what a good separation, what a good divorce looks like, adults respecting each other. And now our kids are so um, respectful of relationships and also adults that get along and that love each other. And James and I say in front of the kids, you know, we still love each other. We just choose to be Mm -hmm. apart. And and I I love the idea of that we are still a family and we will always. So that moment for Beja of, you know, you're adopted. This is your family. That piece never changes. Right. Regardless of, you know, whether you and James are under the same roof or you're living five par- houses apart or whatever and really fueling that. Can mm-hmm. I say you know? what else I know you love too? What? Is that they made a decision not just to phone it in for the kids. Absolutely. Phone in the relationship. Yes. And Nez said that from day one. I just I just feel really strongly that, that we, I think that we have to continue to, uh, we always have to remain committed to the um, th- what we sign in. on for as parents, even when our relationship, our, our own individual things go, you know, go sideways. And that doesn't right. mean phone it in. It also doesn't mean stick it out. Right. It means figure out how you two as adults can continue to keep a family. Yeah, we're, um, we're very happy yeah. in our separation, and because 
we fought so hard politically for our marriage in 2008 mm -hmm. is why we are reluctant right now. Uh -huh. We filed three years ago, and both of our lawyers are like, are you guys going to do this or not? And we both are kind of reluctant because we fought so hard for that. Yes. And so we feel like, you know what, we are still have this this relationship with our kids and this love and this unit, even if it doesn't look traditional, it never has been traditional. We've broken all the rules. And now it's like, why do we, you know, just try to hurt each other with some divorce and get this and separate mm -hmm. finances when that's not how we really feel. We really feel like all of our work want, we want it to go to the kids. We want to leave our house to the kids. We don't want to, we don't want to break that apart. And mm -hmm. the kids feel that they know that you know, Papa and Dada still want to have what's best for them, and they feel that. So we're reluctant, um, but we're both happy living, Beautiful. you know, living a new type of separation, a new, a new type of divorce, which doesn't include decimating the other person because of whatever reason. Right. And turning kids against each other. <laughs> yeah. Man, right. I got to say, Clay, from... Uh, that's been a, this is one of my favorite episodes because you took us on such a journey from Salt Lake City all the way through getting married to adopting to divorce and also just your own personal ride that you've been on. And uh, it's it's inspiring. It is. You know, it really is. I, I got to ask you do, you, do you ever blow it as a dad? Do you ever, are you ever not <laughs> yeah. together? Because you, you guys. Yeah, it seem, you seem really Yeah, Because I know some of the listeners right now are like, I don't know, man. This guy's too perfect. Tell me that, tell me that every once in a while. <laughs> you know, I do and I catch myself. But what's, something I... that, what's something that you wish as a, as a dad that you could, like for me, uh, it was always like, I, would, I, would, I was like a yeller. <laughs> and then I was like, I don't want to be yeller guy. And I've really had to work on that. You know, not what's just, your thing, Clay? Yeah, what's your thing? You Give know, us something. Okay. Right now, listeners are like, all right. <laughs> I have allowed the kids so much to be themselves that they talk all the time. They're constantly talking and they're asking questions and questions, which I love. But at some point, you know, it just there's times when I just need my own quiet and so um the good thing is is having the three kids is they've started to really develop their own relationship but there's moments when i have to distance myself because i want to be so connected to them at all times that i have started to give myself a little bit of me time and space and not feel guilty about it because for the longest time i felt like i had to be super parent and always available and always talking and always you know, answering questions. So now when they come up to me and say, what about this? I said, what do you think about that? Or, or why don't you guess and then I'll give you my answer. And there are times too that, you know, I mean, they're normal kids. They don't clean their rooms. They, you know, they want to talk back. They, all that stuff. And there are points when I have just learned incredible patience with just explaining to them. So it's, being a parent is complete test of patience and uh, endurance, yeah. and I've learned so much from being a parent, but like I also have learned to be my own person, have my own interests, and, um, you know, I'm not going to put a plug for separation, but separation has afforded me a little bit of that because, you know, instead of being a 50% um, parent 100% of the time, I'm 100% parent 50% of the time. Yeah. I have the kids, and I'm with them 100%, but it's just 50% of the time, so I have learned that I need that. And sometimes in a relationship, you forget that. And so you're 50% there 
um, and you're not giving yourself any time, but you're mm-hmm. only half parenting when you're around the other it's person. It's so true. You say that, and this morning when I walked in, what did I say to you, Anaya? What did I say when we, we were sitting in the parking lot? I said, I had such a great night last night. Oh, yeah, because he it, had the house to himself. Yeah, I've, I realized <laughs> yeah. last night. Yes, it's and important. You know what, you know what, and I mean this. I mean this. The, the the kids and uh, and my wife were away uh, for one night, right? And I just I had the whole house to myself for the whole night from the <laughs> time I walked in. And I also realized like a snapshot of what I think I might be when I become like an old dude because I was just talking to the dog and cat. I was like, you guys want to go outside? <laughs> hey, how you doing, Moo? Moo, you hungry? Yeah, Moo. Okay, guys. And I was like, I love this. Like I'm the, yeah. guy, the old man that talks to the animals. <laughs> right. But can I tell you this? What I realized, I sat down, I watched a movie. I went to bed early. I got up this morning. It was just great. Uh, what I realized the whole time I was doing this, I was like, oh my gosh, I got to let Karen know about this. Like my, <laughs> I'm like, Karen needs to do this. I got to take the kids away. Overnight. And just one day, one yes. day, just, I can't even tell you how much. And for everyone that's listening, you just said it best. You know, either we can be parents that are 50%, 100% of the time, which is, you know, that's not happening. Or, uh, you know, you don't have to get separated. Just give your partner a break. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm telling you guys, yeah. you have to do this, you guys. Uh, you know, whether you're married, whether you're just together as a couple, everyone needs a break. And I, and for some reason, I'm like you, Clay. I was I was conditioned to be like I'm like superhuman guy. Like, oh mm-hmm. no, I don't need breaks. I, like I, I in my house, like I grew up with like naps are are like a bad word. You don't take a nap. You don't need your own time. Suck it up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and but you know now I realize that was all in my head, and that I just know that giving uh, my wife. Uh, or getting that time just yeah. one night, man. Yeah, you got to offer that to each other. Yeah. And if you're living under the same roof, to learn how to give each other a break. And, you know, I think that we have had to learn it from being under separate roofs, mm-hmm. but we still are doing the same thing, giving each other a break. And then you figure out your identity. And honestly, it's like the first little while I thought, who am I without my kids? Because we're just doing it for so long. You know, Clay is covering the... so many of the shows. Absolutely, we've done. I love it. I love it. I love it because yeah. I think all of us go through that as parents. You know, I, I, when I'm not with my family, I'm like, okay, if I'm not with my wife, if I'm not with the kids, then you know, what, what am I supposed to do? I should, yeah. I should be doing something for them. And and if you don't give yourself that moment to let your brain just be who you are, you, you know, know, I had to put a please do not disturb sign on my bedroom door to get ten minutes to myself yesterday. Yeah. Just saying, I, I think in my household, it, it's. You mentioned something about the communication. We've we've allowed so much communication, at least in my household, that it's gone to this level of there's just no end to communicating. Like sometimes I say, <laughs> we don't need to communicate anymore, guys. And Karen, what? Let's have no. And I'm like, no. Of silence. I go, no, it's done. We did no more communication <laughs> among anyone in this house. I don't want anyone talking to each other because it's just so many yeah. questions. Just and this. be in a state mm-hmm. of happiness. Yeah, just, it's, yeah. just enjoy what you have achieved with all that communicating and soak it in. Yeah. Soak in the happy. And yeah. that's what I feel like I do a lot soak now. Soak in the happy. <gasps> soak in the I happy. Have like, that's what we're going to call this can episode. Can I tell you right now, <laughs> I have like three ti- I have like, I've written down like three titles. I've, I have We Are Family for this episode. Soak in the, what would you say? Soak happy. in the happy. Soak oh in the happy. God, I love that. I love that. Clay, I can't thank you enough for being on the show today. Thank you. Yes. It was my honor. Thank, thank you for you answering so uh, Rachel's question, too. Absolutely. You know, I really appreciate that. And um, hey, if anyone has any more, you know, questions, anything about this show or um, ideas for other shows. Exactly. But even with what we had today with Clay, um, any families that 
really, you know, this story uh, struck a nerve with you, um, email them to radparenting at gmail.com. And, um, and even if you have Clay, questions straight to Clay, I'll just forward them to you. Yeah. And then if anyone ever wants to sit in your chair, because I got a feeling people might be like, I want to go sit in the chair. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like that? half uh, therapy <laughs> and half stand-up comedy at my salon. So <laughs> and you, get you get a little bit of done. both. One yeah, more get plug your hair for done. the salon. One more plug. The loft. The loft. The loft hair lounge. And it's in Eagle Rock. Um, right off of Townsend. Yeah, you yeah. can go online and check that out, right? Absolutely. TheLoftHairLounge.com. Love it. Nice. And do they still have the uh, the the soft serve or the, the yogurt shop next door? You know what? We don't, but, you know, we have that. lots of other treats. Yes. All right, cool. Thank you so much, Clay, for being on the show. Thank, Thank you for you. everyone listening today. Uh, if you have any questions, one more time, it's RadParenting at gmail.com. Be sure to go to Rad Parenting, our Facebook page. Share, like. Let people know about Rad Parenting, and uh, I think that's it. Are we out? We're out. Right on the hour, too. Nice. All right, Joseph and... Anaya Bogue. And then we all say together at the end, late. Late. Ready? Ready? One, two, three. Late. Late.